Welcome back to another episode of the Sound Wars Collection. I'm Michael Coleman. Today we're talking with the creative team behind Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Today we welcome director Eric Appel, supervising sound editor Anthony Venturi, sound designer Mike James Gallagher, and re-recording mixer Tony Solis. So Eric, um, before you found out about this project, what was your relationship to Weird Al, to his music? Um, how much did you know about him? Yeah, I mean, I remember we were a big MTV household when I was uh, little. I had a you know, pretty young parents. <laughs> so uh, I think like 1984, Eat It coming on MTV, I remember. My mom got me into like a lot of comedy, um, but I like distinctly remember I was a big Michael Jackson and Madonna fan. Uh, I mean, if you were watching MTV in those days, you had to be. And uh, yeah, I remember her like showing me Eat It back then. My My first like when I really, really got into Weird Al, it was probably around sixth grade when uh, like Smells Like Nirvana came out. And that Off the Deep End album was like the first one that I owned on uh, on cassette tape and just, you know, like played the hell out of it for everyone that came anywhere near me. <laughs> Eric, can you tell me a little bit about this project? How did it come about? What was the uh, the inspiration for it? The, the way that this film actually started was I did a, um, a short for Funny or Die in 2010. Um, I made a fake uh, movie trailer, a fake trailer for what ended up becoming a real movie. Um, and in that trailer, Aaron Paul plays Weird Al. Um, Olivia Wilde plays Madonna. Um, so I had this idea. I wanted to do a, a, a fake movie, a, a fake biopic trailer about a like a biopic about someone who's still alive, but the story is completely false and so easily fact-checked. Um, and then I had the idea, I mean, I was a big Weird Al fan and I thought it would add like a really fun meta layer to it to have it be like a biopic parody that's about the guy that does parodies. Um, so, and I, but I didn't know Al. It felt like, a, it felt like the kind of idea that he something that he would have done himself. So I reached out to him through a mutual friend um, just to get his blessing. Um, Pat Oswalt sent him an email for me. And uh, like within 20 minutes, he was like, hey, Al loves this idea. He wants your email address. I, I, I think I might've been 29 years old at the time. Um, I all of a sudden get a, an email from Weird Al and he's like, I'd love to collaborate with you on this. Do you want, are you around later today to get coffee? And like that started my my friendship and, and collaboration with Al. He showed the trailer at his concerts for um, during like a costume change for, for about a decade. Uh, and then in 2019, I just woke up one morning to a random email from, from him that was like, I, I think it's time to turn this thing into a real movie. Do you want to write it together? I was like, of course. Um, so right from the jump, really to answer your question, like we, you know, we always knew that there was going to be, uh, I don't know, almost no truth to this biopic. Um, and, you know, we just wanted to create the weirdest, uh, funniest, most engaging biopic story we could playing off the tropes of biopics, um, both, uh, you know, uh, fictional biopics like Forrest Gump and, you know, movies like Boogie Nights um, and, uh, and you know, musical biopics and, and just try to tell like a really weird original story that, you know, feels like one of those movies um, through, the, through the Weird Al lens. 
That's great. Anthony, I feel like there's uh, some also backstory about your relationship to Weird Al. What, what's what's your relationship to Weird Al? And there's some image of you from 10 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I like we all have just said, children of the 80s, 90s grew up loving Al. I had the first album I had of his was it was a compilation. It was called the the Food Album. And so it was just all of his songs about food. And I would just play that nonstop. And I loved it. Obviously, I was a giant fan of Al. I had seen the initial Funny or Die trailer, you know, years ago when it came out, like love that. And then uh, I was on a phone. So I was on a sales call meeting with the Formosa group who I do a lot of work with. And uh they were like, it was the end of the meeting. They had talked about all these other projects. And then at the very end of the meeting, they're like, oh, and there's this low budget, um, a Weird Al movie. I don't know. And I had already read that they were getting ready to make this movie. And I was like, me, just give it to me. Like, let me let me meet with the, the crew, please. Like, don't, well, I don't care about the budget. Let's just say yes. And so, uh, and then I, so uh, to bring up what you're mentioning, uh, years ago, I went as Weird Al for Halloween. Like my friend had an accordion. And he just had, he had brought it into work one day and I was like, oh, and it just snapped at me. I was like, oh, I'll go as Weird Al for Halloween. It was like Halloween time. And so I got a, you know, I got dressed up as Weird Al. So there's this great picture of me um, playing the accordion dressed as Weird Al. Uh, And so I sent that to the guys at Formosa. I sent it to like my sales team of those guys, producers just going like, look, I'm really, I love, I love Weird Al. I really want to like make this work. Like, look how serious I am. Unbeknownst to me, they sent it to Eric and the whole, uh, to, to the weird crew. And so I don't know if that's what got me the interview, but then I was able to then, uh, meet Eric, uh, Eric and I had an interview. I was given the script and was able to watch a rough cut on the movie. And that's, uh, we had a great discussion about what Eric was looking for for sound on the movie. You know, it was great. It was great to, I mean, it honestly helped a little, I think, sending the bit, like <laughs> seeing that picture. Because everybody that worked on the movie from, you know, when we were in production, um, it's like everyone had a passion for Weird Al. Like this, it's a low budget project, you know, people, a lot of people aren't getting paid their normal rates they would. Um, and, you know, you have to find people that really care about what you're doing and are, and are passionate about it. And, uh, yeah, I was so stoked to see a picture of Anthony dressed as Weird Al. <laughs> so funny. What, what about Tony and Mike? How, how did you guys fall, fall into with this project and, you know, first reactions to working on a project like this? I just feel like for any of us of maybe coming up through this time, it's like he's our hero in a weird way. I mean, it just <laughs> seemed like why would I not want to work on this? Yeah, maybe, maybe with you, uh, Mike, start with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a, a picture of Madonna, um, uh, Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna had come out and I had already, I think, even mentioned it to Anthony like, oh, man, we got to work on stuff like this, you know. And so, I, you know, my, my relationship with Weird Al, though, like it's very similar to Eric's and Anthony's. But, you know, I saw UHF in theaters and also I have this weird memory. I don't even know if it's true, but like when uh, the fat video premiered on MTV was like huge because it was his next Michael Jackson parody. And I remember sitting around with my family waiting for that premiere. And so that was like a big thing. And I recorded it on VHS and then watched it just constantly. So like that was always playing. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the next step in the process after Anthony, you know, got got the job as supervising sound editor was uh, me and him frequently collaborate. And we've been working together for or we've known each other for over 10 years. So, uh, yeah, we immediately, he immediately, I guess, brought me on the project and we started talking about it. That's so great. Tony, what is it like to mix a project like this? I feel like, I mean, there's, there's rules to mixing, but then also this one kind of like, 
disregards rules. I mean, there were absolutely no rules, to be honest. Uh, when Anthony, so I met Anthony just a few months before he pitched me this movie. He was dialogue editing on a on a movie I was mixing for Tom DeLonge. And then we went out and played golf, I think it was. And uh, while we were mixing the other movie, he said, man, I think I might be doing this Weird Al movie. And I was like, yo, that'd be that'd be really fun. In the back of my head, like I came up as a musician, know all of Weird Al stuff. And I'm kind of like, that would probably be a really insane movie to mix. And of course, two months later, we're playing golf. And he's like, uh, you want to mix it? Of course, he doesn't know my background at that point, like of like the musician and and knowing Weird Al since the late '80s and '90s. And as soon as he sent me the rough cut, I knew that okay, this is not a normal movie. It's it can't be mixed like any sort of. I can't mix it as a full on action film. I can't mix it as a full on comedy. It's just everything is its own little world. And I threw out everything I knew, and and luckily collaborating with all of these guys. You know, and having Eric on the stage with us and having Al uh, on uh, Evercast, it was just basically, let's all just throw things at it and see what works, what doesn't work, and kind of just throw it all away of, like, what is normal to do. Tons of fun. I don't know wh- why it was, but when I first found out about this film, for some reason I thought it was just, like, a straight-ahead documentary. And then when we got to the pool party yes. sequence, I realized, oh, no, 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 this is so far from the truth. Um, <laughs> what was the discussion between you and Weird Al? How did you guys determine, you know, just between fact and fiction? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there are certain things in the movie that were inspired by facts. <laughs> like, even the facts in our movie are <laughs> not true facts, you know. <laughs> like... He record. He did record my my Bologna um, in a bathroom uh, at his. You know, and, and when he was in college, um, the way we get there. You know, he didn't have the guys in his band weren't his roommates. You know, they weren't there in that bathroom with him. Um, so we, you know, we knew very early on that we wanted to, um, you know, just just sort of invent our own version of weird al that exists only in this um in the world of this movie um but we did we we did talk about you know you you can't just like put your foot down all the way on the gas pedal right at the beginning of the movie so it's fun that you had that experience where it's like is this true there's a certain line that we cross (laughs) you know late once you get to like he's battling pablo escobar um you know it's like, oh, okay, wow, yeah. If anyone thinks that there's any truth to that, you know, I don't know what what's going on. And then, uh, obviously, when you get to the very end of the movie, you know, that definitively tells you this is not true. <laughs> but everyone, you know, everyone has their uh, a different moment where it will sort of dawn on them. It's really fun hearing from people like where where exactly it is. Like it's um, th- there were discussions early on. I remember when. Uh, there's that really uh, his his father in the movie uh, Toby Huss beats up this accordion salesman uh, played by Tom Lennon, and the beating is like so brutal and over the top, and we thought it was uh, hilarious. I mean, like we're so tickled by this cartoonish violence, but for a lot of people that were seeing the movie and didn't get what we were going for yet it just seems brutal and and not funny. So it's like really, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting to see how, how it plays in, in different rooms and 
uh, depending on how much you know about Al. Yeah, I think something that I was like listening to, looking at the soundtrack, and obviously just going through the film, like you pull out key moments that the songs that were pivotal to his career, and you know, by the time we get to like the Amish Paradise, I'm like, I I, re- I remember exactly when and where that was in my life. And it kind of yeah. signifies like a departure of, you know, of like the 80s have left and, and 90s and we're into a different time for him. But um, how how did you guys decide which songs to use? And then uh, did you guys re-record those? How did you come up with these these new versions? Yeah, we we decided that we were going to re-record them because, you know, in each di- in each scene, the songs being played like in a different venue. Um, uh, my Bologna. uh you know, had to had to be real stripped down at first. Then we put a backing band behind it, which like in the real version doesn't even exist. Um, uh, we, you know, we we had to have the uh, I Love Rocky Road sound like it was in a bar. So, uh, you know, it was it was clear early on that we should, you know, go into the studio and re-record all these songs. How we came up with, with the order of the song. I mean, we kind of followed his career. Like what were the big hits? What, what songs had music videos in what order? And then at a certain point, um, for one, we kind of just ran out of time in the movie, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and we kind of depart like, like we, we hit this point once you get into the Escobar stuff and all that, where it's, it, it's ceases to be a musical biopic for a little stretch and just turns into an action movie. So um, and then by the time, you know, at the end, we just felt Amish, or Amish Paradise was such a huge hit for Al. Um, we felt like that was a really perfect, um, I mean, that, that sort of in the, that's the next big hit. Um, even though it came a decade after <laughs> the time period in the movie, we had the movie in 1985. I think that song came out in 97. Um, but well, that's uh, the best part is that then Coolio's in the audience getting mad. Like that doesn't make sense, yeah. but it works. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 In my, in my head, I was always like, Coolio was mad because I don't know. He has the idea for this song. <laughs> yeah. And Al, and Al, like Al just got there first, you know? He's yeah. like, uh, I guess with that being said, I, I mean, you knew that obviously like Daniel Radcliffe would, would be performing to these, you know, sync tracks on, on set. Um, you'd have to recreate the environment. So how did you guys go about creating the sound design of, I'm thinking of, you know, the first one, like in the club. I hear those ice cream bells and I start to drool. This guy needs some help. Keep a couple quarts in my locker at school. Yeah, but chocolate's getting old. Vanilla just leaves me cold. There's just one flavor good enough for me. Yeah, me. Don't give me no crummy teaspoon. I know what I need. Baby, I love Rocky Road. Well, I think early on, Eric and I had like a spotting session to discuss, you know, what he was looking for in each of these scenes and how we wanted those sounds to sound. Um... And so it's kind of scene by scene. So like we say, the Rocky Road scene where they play in a dive bar, that's its own, okay, we got to make the dive bar sound divey and grimy and have beer bottles and angry people. And then, oh, now he's playing in an arena. Okay, well, we got to make that sound like a big arena crowd. So, you know, each scene had its own fun challenges to make, you know, make those moments sound like where they're supposed to. Having the original or having those stems really helped Tony to mix all those musics and those, all that music in the environment. Um, 
Yeah, it was really fun. I think, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun on each of these scenes. Uh, one of my favorite things was for uh, Rocky Road. We had a great loop group, uh, Sue Boyage in a Loop Out Loud. She has a, she's amazing. I've worked with her on multiple projects. Uh, she had her loop group do. We had them coming in and record a bunch of fun stuff for the bar. So there's a lot of like fun bar chatter and like you can like, you really hone in. You can hear like funny things being said in the crowd and stuff. While we were working on that scene, Anthony was having a uh, birthday party. And so uh, I brought, I, I brought my recording set up to the birthday party and me and Anthony had a plan to round all our friends up and sing Rocky Road. I love Rocky Road, so have another triple scoop with me. I love Rocky Road, so won't you go buy half a gallon, baby? And uh, what, what, one cool thing I did with it is I had just like a stereo microphone on my iPhone and I was recording all our friends, probably like 30 friends, singing the song and I was just like running around them getting this like super cool stereo dynamic recording and uh, it makes it sound you'd think it would sound crazy but really it just sounds like a really cool recording so I layered all that stuff and put it in put it in and that's uh, that's who you hear singing the song along with uh, Daniel Radcliffe we also had Al record the audience at one of his concerts he was on the road and we had to uh, uh, in, in in the big arena scene um, the audience had to be chanting no. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we were like, oh man, that's gotta be so many, it needs to sound huge. Is that what you want? No! Is that what you want? No! Is that what you want? No! So Al was on tour the whole time we were mixing the movie, so he was remoted in every day. So Al was there every day for the mix, but he was just in a different city. And so, yeah, we were struggling or we weren't struggling, but we were, Al was just very like, oh, this doesn't sound like the big arenas like I'm used to hearing. And so just like offhandedly, I was like, oh, well, can you record your audience tonight doing it? And everybody laughed. I don't know if you guys remember this. Like everybody like laughed. Uh -huh. And then like it settled. And then Al was like, wait, was that a serious request? And I was like, yes. And so then he recorded that for us that night. And and it was in the newspaper in, in, in yeah. Nebraska or wherever it was. It was like a big story, like. I have the headline. It says uh, Weird Al turns audience into movie stars during impressive Friday concert. Uh, all of these scenes um, where the band is playing, I, you know, one of the big directions that I gave these guys from the jump was that, like, I don't want this to sound like a comedy movie. And I think just across the board visually and, and with our, you know, the actors, the performances, I wanted to lean into really making this feel like an, an awards contender, you know, to feel like a big, the big biopic that would be at the Oscars, you know, at the end of the year. So, um, so for all of these, the bar scene and the concert scene, it was, it was really like leaning into the realism of these locations and making it just feel alive and, and elevated with sound. I remember it was literally the first thing that Anthony had told me is that Eric wants all of this to feel like it's in the space that it's in. My first question back was, do I have stems? And as soon as he said, Al re-recorded a bunch of the stuff, I knew that I'm going to have vocals, bass, guitars, everything separated out. I had the, the accordion on the left hand and right hand on separate stems. And once we got on stage, since we were mixing in like an immersive, like we were originally mixed it in Atmos and it just allowed me to put all that stuff in the proper space to just all have that, that minute granular flexibility to just be able to get Eric and, and Al what it is that they were asking for, which is like, make it sound like a, a divey bar, like the drums are actually coming out of the PA, that kind of stuff. Big arena, uh, you know, Amish paradise sounding nice and big and fat. 
and uh, dubbed my favorite one, which was uh, another one rides the bus because that's all outdoor and it needs to sound kind of like dry, but also not fall flat completely when you compare it to, to the rest of the movie. So it just, uh, it was a, a really awesome ask from Eric, I would say, and Al to be like, make it all sound like it's there and not just a music video. There's a there's a part where Daniel Radcliffe throws his phone right before the LSD sequence. He's talking to his mother and he gets pissed <laughs> off and he throws the phone and we had thrown a cat growl like <laughs> like kind of run away inside the house. And we kept that in there and Eric was just immediately like, "No, no, 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 no. We're just, we're taking not. that out." Yeah. <laughs> I did and, say um, I love it. I was like, "I love it. I love yeah, the cat yeah. sound. Like it's just <laughs> not this. It's not this yeah, movie. Yeah. It's very weird <laughs> Al and it's yeah." <laughs> I mean, we would we would push and pull in different ways though. Like the the guacamole eating the chips sound and all that stuff oh, like yeah. that. We would just like give and take of like we don't have that super cartoony thing happening, but we're also then pushing in other ways that are that are hilarious at times so yeah that that to me the rain wilson playing dr demento is just like it's the role of his lifetime i'm just like i i don't know anyone else i could play that character even even as obscure as a character that might be for some people it's such a a funny little moment um can you guys talk about that lsd sequence because i i feel like uh it's it was one that like this is a comedy it is maybe a biopic but even so like it kind of like it's it does lead where the story leads next is kind of like, it's funny how you use these zany moments to kind of like, Oh no, that's connective tissue to Al's story and how it got him there. So yeah, maybe Eric, like when did LSD idea come up? We always wanted to have this drug sequence from very, very early on with Al. We talked about, uh, I, I think it was an LSD burrito at one point. But we, ended up, uh, <laughs> we ended up settling on guacamole. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, it, it was at, at first when we wrote it, it was just um, it was going to be like, this is where he comes up with eat it. Right. Um, and I think that the original version of the script, the end of that scene, or it was sort of like he didn't understand what the it, it was. It was just like a funny, crazy drug sequence. And I think it spit him out at the end. He like wakes up and they're in a diner. <laughs> That's what it was. And uh, and and that's where Demento is like, here, eat, you know, eat your food, just eat it. And that's where he comes up with it. Um, just in. Yeah, I can't remember. So somewhere along the writing process, we decided to give the scene a lot more meaning and just make it this battle between good and evil and like, you know, his fears about what his father thinks of him and and uh, Demento being this like spiritual mentor yeah and the industrial shredder um and and sort of want, wanted to go for this the temp score that we had in there was um duel of the fates from, from star wars <laughs> that's right that's right and, uh, oh man yeah and that was sort of like you know it, it it needed this big i wanted it to be this like lord of the rings you know uh revenge of the sith like <laughs> this just this big epic uh moment and then these guys like really pushed it there with the sound. It like that scene elevated in such a huge way um, once these guys got their hands on it. Ah! Ah! He's losing his power over you. Keep going. I can't. Maybe you should try a little Captain Crunch. What? Raisin Bran, perhaps? No, no, I don't want no Captain Crunch! Don't want no 
reason for him! Eat it. Just eat it. Eat it. I don't understand! Eat it. Don't you make me repeat it. What's happening to me? Now you must die in order to be rewarded. No! No! My favorite moment is something that I thought I thought Eric had done intentionally, but like uh, Dr. Demento taps on the bowl twice. And just immediately when I saw that in the rough cut, I was like, I'm putting the opening notes from eat it, beat it there. And uh, I remember you actually heard that for the first time on stage, Eric, and we hadn't told you that we were going to do that, but it just worked so perfectly. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that was a great moment. It was like, whoa, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great, too, because our composers, uh, Zach and Leo, who did a killer job on the score, we were able to get their music a little bit before while we were cutting. So Mike was able, Mike and I were able to tune some of our effects stuff to, um, you know, in pitch with their score, with their actual music, which helped designing and editing a lot. You know, we could push those sounds further you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the industrial shredder going on in that scene is very tonal. And I just had it like uh, pitched to the actual notes of the score. And then when uh, me and me and Tony were like sitting at the board mixing the scene, it was a lot of fun, by the way. And Tony did an awesome job. We mixed it in Atmos. So that, that was that was an Atmos scene right there. But uh, but yeah, he was able to crank those sound effects because they just nothing was clashing. And it's just it's a really intense moment. I also love how it just almost goes. It just almost goes to silence right at the peak of it. The, the way that it was put together by by these guys, once I got it to, to mix, it was, you know, it was the first time in the movie where we were going to really flex the muscles of the speakers and just kind of like be as it's probably the loudest moment in the movie, most likely. And uh the organization of of how Mike put everything together and like I felt like I had unlimited headroom because it was really thick score, it was really thick effects. There's dialogue that you need to hear that's all crazy affected. And it was just sort of like uh, oh my god, how loud do we want this to be? Let's just keep pushing here and pulling there and pushing here. And then uh I remember it was I just did it as a test that once we got to the moment where it went down, I just like pulled down one of my masters. I'm just like, what would it be like if we just went to absolute silence instead of, you know, having a little drone or a little bit of like lightning or something like that. And it was just so effective. I think we spent the longest on that scene during the whole mix because we just kept watching it over and over to make sure that everything was hitting right. And then we, we got new VFX and all that. And, uh, total dream. Eric, at what point did you guys decide to have this uh, diner fight scene? I just feel like it, once again, it goes like almost to the point of like, this is crazy. And then it goes to like, this is fucking crazy. What the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure like Daniel Radcliffe is doing like all his, it feels like he's doing all the stunts. It feels like it's him or it's very good choreography. So yeah, how did that come about that scene? Yeah, he did. Um, he, he actually did a lot of the fighting him, himself. Like we had, um, we had rehearsal days for him. Uh, uh, that was luckily we shot the movie in 18 days, which is insane. Um, but you know, we did get some band rehearsal days and we got some stunt rehearsal days for him, which was uh, which made it doable. Um, you know, it's funny. That's another scene where 
from our initial meeting, when, when we talked about turning this into a movie, Al and I went out for coffee uh, one morning just to, to throw out some preliminary ideas that we, we both had. And Al said, I just want to, I want there to be a part in the movie where out of nowhere, I turn into John Wick in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and, and he's like, it would be awesome if I like took down like Pablo Escobar. And I was like, that's so random and hilarious. Why? And Al was like, I just binged all of Narcos. And it's like, he's like, I just have Escobar on the brain. I'm like, that's hilarious. So it, um, you know, the, the idea to have him kind of go off the rails and be crazy, you know, came from the beginning. Uh, it, it was just, it, it took a long time to um, make it make sense for the story. You know, like we wanted it to feel, Al wanted it to feel like it comes absolutely out of nowhere. And I was like, all right, well, it can't just be this random scene. Otherwise, it's going to be the first thing's you know, studios tell us to cut when we try to sell this. You are literally the only thing I have left in the world. And if anything happened to you, I don't know what I would do. No! 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 Relax, Mr. Yankovic. We only want to borrow your girlfriend. Just stay calm and nothing will happen to you. Please, sir, please, whatever you do. Don't hurt me. So we just had to like make that that whole, you know, action movie sequence bulletproof by loading it with payoffs. And like, uh, you know, it all leads to Al learning this thing about Madonna and getting his heart broken. Um, but it just comes in, in this like insanely surprising, you know, at his lowest point, he can suddenly fight. We ju and I remember ju we justified it to ourselves as like, well, his dad beat that guy up early on, like, <laughs> like he has it in him. Like it doubles down when we get to the jungle scene and like now it becomes like, I don't know if it's Predator or like what movie I'm watching, but like talk to me about, okay, if you shot this in 18 days, I'm sure you didn't travel to like the Amazon. So where did you shoot the jungle? And then obviously how did you guys even source the material to use for the jungle scenes? Yeah, the jungle was, uh, that was actually one of our hardest locations to to figure out. We were trying to, because we, you know, we couldn't go too far. It, it was 18 days and we had to put that jungle stuff with something else like it wasn't big we couldn't build an entire day at the jungle so i think after we did that jungle sequence we went to like the restaurant where him and madonna where he gets the phone call um about uh about michael jackson recording uh beat it um we shot at the we ended up shooting at the warner brothers jungle um, the, the famous jungle where uh, Pee Wee Herman lagoon. We found this like great military vehicle and and uh, got a couple um, Spanish speaking. Actually, you know what? No, the stuntmen did not speak Spanish. The guys that 
Um, so we had to dump their voices. <laughs> yeah, that brings yeah. us back to our, our, our great loop group. Yeah, our loop yep. groupers. Thank you, loop group. Red. Yeah. Yeah, they really saved us. Espérate. No es un hombre. Es un hey boy. But yeah, so it was like a just just a little half day shoot. Um, we had a stunt there that kind of didn't. It, it took a little too long. But originally, uh, Al drops out of the trees behind them, and then pops up and breaks a guy's neck. Um, but it just like that's the thing with eighteen days. We had time to shoot that stunt twice. It never the timing never quite worked out, so we had to kind of cut around it. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, just insane that we did that, that, uh, that we, you know, we're in the jungle in the morning and then in the afternoon we're at, uh, you know, the restaurant at the Van Nuys golf course, uh, <laughs> with Josh Groban as a waiter. What a day. I mean, okay, okay. So that's what I want to ask you guys next is how do you determine all these cameos? Like it's, and that's like the, the, the wonderful thing about this type of film is that all, it's, it's like the Muppets maybe are the only other like type of film that uh, you expect it. And when I started, I was like, Lin-Manuel, like, what the hell are you doing in this film? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how did that come about? Was that we- a Weird Al's uh, inclination? Or yeah. Cast it. I'll tell you, first, Lin-Manuel Miranda was an incoming call. <laughs> and Lin-Manuel Miranda reached out to Al and he was like, let me be in your movie, dude. I want to be in your movie. <laughs> Um, here are the dates that I'm going to be uh, in Los Angeles doing press for like the Oscars or something. Um, and it's like, all right, we can slot him into this doctor role, which will be perfect because it's right at the beginning of the movie. Um, everybody else, um, basically everybody else, all the all the other cameos were like from Al's, um, you know, Christmas card mailing list. <laughs> uh, you know, he has a lot of friends and a lot of um what's fun is like all of these people that become friends with him it's like you start as a fan of his and then become his friend (laughs) so everyone from jack black like i'm sure jack black was a weird al fan before he met weird al um and uh so it's incredible that you know, Al would reach out to these people personally, like, oh, let's see if Conan O'Brien shot in the dark. Will Conan O'Brien play Andy Warhol? And five minutes later, Al texts me and he's like, Conan's in. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny how the, the how, it, yeah, it happened like that. But people were, yeah, no, nobody said no. <laughs> Everyone was yeah. very into it. Uh, that's the, that's the Yankovic bump, man. That's yeah, true. That's the Yankovic bump. Real Yankovic bump. <laughs> There's a there's a cameo I want to mention that uh, people might not realize, but it's actually during the pool scene, which is uh, full of cameos. But in another one, rides the bus. There's uh, music Mike Kiefer uh, doing the hand farts yeah, behind yeah, the right. whole yeah. track. And, yeah, musical uh, guys, Mike. Uh, did the, yeah. yeah, he did the original hand farts, <laughs> like on, in the in Al's original songs. I'm trying to do and, it. Yeah, we got him out of <laughs> we got him out of retirement and recorded him during the mix.
you can he- yeah you can hear it obviously in the song and in the scene and that scene uh, that scene very early on too there's a lot of that is a, a section where there's a lot of funny sound effects and stuff sprinkled throughout the the whole performance and so that was very i remember very early on that was important to to eric and al was like okay we got to make sure that these sounds are hitting the right tone <laughs> Another one rides the bus. Another one rides the bus. And another comes on. And another comes on. Another one rides. What's it? The uh, I, the vibraphone. Flexitone. The, the, the flexitone. Yeah, yeah. So Conan plays it. You you see Conan playing it on screen, but I think Al wasn't digging the sound, and so Eric during the mix. Remember, you ordered a flexitone. I bought one on. on yeah, yeah. I, I bought a flexitone <laughs> on Amazon, and then like all day I was practicing it. And then we went, <laughs> we went to record it and Al was on the monitor and he's like, yeah, it's not right. It's like, what? I've been practicing this thing all day. He's like, he's like, no, it has to be longer. It goes all the way up and down. It's like four, you know, it's like a two full measures or something like that. And, um, uh, so yeah, I had to go, I, I had to do a little more practicing. And then finally, when I got it right, we all hold our breath and look at Al and he's, what did he say? Adequate or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's adequate. Yeah, adequate. It's adequate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, acceptable I like, wow, or something. That must be like the, yeah. it was acceptable and adequate were his two, like, if you got that from him, that's an approval. On. We got it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the hardest sound to get on the entire movie is something people wouldn't expect. But it's uh, when Dr. Demento wants to adopt Weird Al. And right right after that, he slowly squeezes a bicycle horn or a clown horn. And it's supposed to make this sound, like a sad sound. And um, yeah, yeah, like sad trombone or something like that. But uh, yeah, uh, what did I, I threw, that's where I put the slide whistle in. So I had mentioned before that I put a slide whistle in there. And Eric was just like, no, 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 no. You know, it actually needs to feel real. And if you've ever squeezed a bicycle horn that slowly, you realize it just goes, you know, it just makes air sound. But yeah, I mean, me and Anthony were like, we're on the case and we like, we tried vuvuzelas and trombones and actually what ended up so, and it got, it got, uh, you know, it didn't get approved again, like two or three times. And then we're like, oh shit, we really got to do something. And I think and we're, and at this point too, we're running out of stage time. Like the mix has yeah, we to were be on, done. Yeah. <laughs> it's the we end were of the on mix. The mix. <laughs> we're like, oh, we, we were on the big stage. Do- yeah, and we're yeah. like, we got to get this, we got to get this approved. And so Mike goes back to the drawing. Well, board, actually, you know. Jamie, Jamie Kennedy, who was the picture editor, said during our the offline edit, editor. yeah, our amazing picture editor, they, during the picture, edit, they had used a dog toy for it. And I was like, all right, that's it right there. So I just took their dog toy idea that they used in the offline edit. And then I expanded on it with some more sounds. And then, yeah, lo and behold, it finally, I actually did five versions that morning. And uh, I think like number three got approved, and uh, yeah, and I, I do remember got, there got was another. It got an adequate, adequate. from Al, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that adequate, <laughs> no, no, no. it got applause. So yeah, uh, everyone applauded. Yeah. But I have to say, it was to it's you know seeing this. I I was lucky enough to see this with multiple audiences at different film festivals, and being in a room with twelve hundred people laughing at that sound effect it makes you know <laughs> yes. it's all worth it it's all worth yeah, it yeah, exactly. 100%. oh 100 
Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad thing that we're that we have those challenges. It's fun. It's just you're. It's funny to think that that one sound took the hardest sound in the movie was probably that little sound. Yeah. Eric, what, what have you taken away in terms of trying to tackle, com- not trying, I mean, you've been doing it for a while, comedy. Comedy is not for everybody. Uh, timing, pacing, tone, these all play into, like you're saying, having an audience react to a gag. When it falls flat, you're like, why is it not working? So what, what have you taken away from this film? How does comedy relate to you now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, it's so subjective. Even with this movie, it's 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 still so subjective. There's going to be people that are expecting it to be like a a, a zanier, um, you know, uh, like a Weird Al video, like Naked Gun or Airplane or or Mad Magazine come to life, you know. Um, for this movie, it was just really sticking to our guns and um, staying true to this tone which was, you know, serious biopic. It's like a Weird Al song. It sounds just like the original song, but the words are different. We wanted this to feel and look like a prestige film, but the words are all different. You know, there's stretches of this movie you could watch on mute, and it's like, oh, this is just a musical biopic. (laughs) It's just that, you know, it's about the most ridiculous thing. Um, So I think that's it. And I mean, you know, for me with comedy, it's always been, I'm just doing what I find funny. And I hope that that resonates with audiences. And, um, you know, currently it is resonating with audiences. Uh, and, and critics um, and critics. critics, critics, That's right. Um, and the critics are never wrong about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, just trying to, I mean, Al and I were just trying to, we, we laughed a lot on set, you know, and, and it was, it's just about making each other laugh and, and, and hoping that it finds the right audience. Maybe for each of you, let's start with Tony, uh, maybe a favorite scene or moment, an Easter egg, something that is subtle that you guys slipped in there or yeah. What's a favorite moment for you? Subtle. Uh, I mean, there wasn't too much subtle in this movie, but, uh, um, I think honestly, the uh, acid trip sequence for me as like a mixer and just as like a love, a, like I, I love cinema and, and movies so much that I could see the amount of effort that these guys put into writing this stuff. I saw how smartly it was done. I saw how amazing they did for just 18 days. It's like there was something about that scene that kind of culminated all of that together for me of just sort of like, holy crap, this is, this is like, we're all in this and enjoying the hell out of it. And we're laughing together and we're like a unit. And that, since we spent the most amount of time on that scene, it was just incredibly rewarding to get to the finish line with it. And just sort of like all the departments were firing on full blast to get that one done. So, you know, and obviously Mike's little, uh, addition of, uh, the beginning notes was just like one of those moments yeah. on stage. Yeah. That Sinclair sound where he educated me that I had no idea that that was actually just a simple dong. It's a preset on the Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah. And once we flew that in, it, it was something about like in my brain, that whole sequence all the way up, up to the egg just brought it together for me personally that I was like, all right, I don't care how long this takes. We could be 14 hours a day. Like, I'm going to put everything I got into this. So thank you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What about you, Anthony? 
Yeah, I uh, we mentioned having my friends over for a birthday barbecue and recording them singing Rocky Road. That's like one of my favorite Easter eggs that I tell people. Another one, this is a silly little Easter I don't even know if you call it an Easter egg. There's just a very funny loop performance. In the very beginning, when you see when you first see Daniel as Al walking up through the park, you and there's people in the park and there's this little hot dog stand. There's this one little little loop group line where somebody's going, 10 hot dogs, please. And it just makes me laugh every time. It's such a small little note. But those are like some of my favorite little moments in the movie. But I would say like my favorite, one of my favorite scenes to work on. And I like we've said, there's so many scenes that are so, every little section of this movie is fun to work on. You're like, oh, great. We get to do this scene today or we get to do this scene or we're working on this. So it never, every scene I enjoyed working on. But uh, I think we had a lot of fun on the diner fight scene was pretty fun for like a multiple, multiple reasons. Like Mike designing great like fighting and like gun sounds throughout that scene. And then just we recorded Daniel came in to do ADR. And so a lot of that production audio on the day gets lost or is just not properly recorded. So we had Daniel come in and re-record all of his fight efforts and sounds. And like, I don't, I had so much, he killed it. I mean, Eric, you, Eric and I were there on the ADR stage and I remember just being like, wow, this guy's a pro. And it's like, oh yeah, he's Daniel Radcliffe. He's been doing these big, he's been doing his movies entire his, life, you know, yeah. his entire <laughs> life. But so he then, so one of my, it's, it's a funny moment when he slams a guy's head in on the little panini press. We have this great, awesome sizzling sound. But then Daniel, during the ADR, just goes, die. And like, I think we all just <laughs> like, so brutal. cracked. It's so funny. It's, and Daniel came up, Daniel just did that like improv and it was just like, that's going in. And so like, just yep. working on that scene and having, so if you watch it again, people, and you hear, you'll hear Daniel going, die to this guy that he's got in the PD president. Order up. Mike, what about you? In the first few minutes of the movie, uh, there's a, it stops. The, the tape stops and it rewinds for like 15, 20 seconds. And uh, what uh, Jamie Kennedy and uh, Eric, is it Peter Dudgeon? Dudgeon, is that his uh, yeah, last name? Yeah, yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, so I, I, I guess like, so. okay. I, uh, Jamie Kennedy and uh, Peter Dudgeon, who uh, Jamie Kennedy was the picture editor and Peter Dudgeon is the assistant editor on this movie. They had tempted in some sounds of like uh, reversed music. And that ended up sounding the best music, but I actually did some experiments where I actually took the reels and the dialogue and reversed it and stuff like that. It sounded like crap though. But anyway, I, the music being reversed sounded great. So I was like, okay, so what music can I put in this spot? And, uh, I'm a massive nine inch nails, Trent Reznor fan. And, uh, the song that I chose to reverse in that section is Weird Al's style parody of nine inch nails, which is called germs. And it's a style parody of Terrible Lie and Closer. Uh, wait, no, Terrible Lie. Yeah, Terrible Lie and Closer. And so the song that you hear that's reversed in that moment, and it's been transformed. I mean, you can't tell. You can't that's, tell. That's you can't song. pick it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Eric, I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I didn't. That's amazing. I love <laughs> hearing. That's incredible. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, I beefed, yeah. I beefed up that song a lot. There's a ton of layers, but that main kind of thing that you can grab onto that sounds like rewound tape is that uh, Germs style parody. Um, oh, so that's oh, so that's my big personal Easter egg that I did. And uh, the other really fun Easter egg I want to mention because we've got the whole crew back together is 
when you first hear the beat of Amish Paradise come in, you hear Al's dad and Al's mom arguing, or they're, or they're like yelling at him. And we realized that some of the dialogue was in sync with the music. And so Anthony, Tony, and Eric, all oh, we actually nudged the dialogue to be in sync with the music. So next time you watch the movie and you hear it, you'll actually hear that it sounds like it sounds the like, mom and dad are like rapping Al's, along to the beat. It sounds like it sounds Al's like dad is rapping. No, yeah, because you hear the drum intro come into Amish Fair. Nothing gets through just to get you. Through and to I think you. Just, yeah. no, wait, that was funny. <laughs> Shoot, wait, even more Easter eggs were the whole groups here. We, at the end of Rocky Road, remember Al, Al kept giving a note that he, he wanted everybody shouting scoop with me at the end. And we didn't quite have that. And so we actually, I don't know if you guys all remember this, we like set up a microphone on stage and we all sit back to it. We all stood around the microphones yelling scoop with me. Scoop with me! Like I said in the beginning, a film I didn't know I needed, but I want in my life. I just feel like this this one kind of checks all the boxes. So yeah, congratulations, Eric, on this of taking a small idea and pitching it and having it see the light of day. Yeah, it's a huge achievement. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. Mike, Tony, Anthony, Eric, congratulations, you guys, on a really fantastic film. For anyone who hasn't seen it, check it out. It's streaming now on Roku. And uh, yeah, tell your friends. I feel like it's like Weird Al. Like I got it on a cassette tape from a friend. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into, but I was really happy I went through it. So yeah, congratulations, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.